We're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. And uh, to kind of just start it off early and quick, we're going to be basically picking up exactly where we left off from last week. And really, uh, as I mentioned to you very briefly, specifically, this message was intended to go with last week's message because they do coincide so well, even though this is another statement that Jesus is making. However, um, if I combined last week's sermon with this week's sermon, we'd still be here, and you should have brought a sack lunch. So um, consider yourself hashtag blessed. So uh, as we jump into this, we're continuing with this theme of what we've seen from the last couple of weeks, which you might even say you keep making the same point over and over again. And there's a reason, because it is the same point over and over again, which is Jesus, here in the Sermon on the Mount, is getting to the heart of the matter, and he's wanting to restore God's good and perfect law back to the set standard that it should be. Because for, for centuries, the religious leaders had lowered the bar of God's standard and his word and his law, and now Jesus is saying, nope, let's put it back where it is. And let's get beyond the technicalities that I didn't murder anyone or that I didn't cheat on my spouse. Let's get to the heart of what would cause someone to get to the point of murder, what would cause someone to get to the point of adultery, and that when we go upstream from those two specific examples, we find that their residing within the heart is just that percolating bit of, of anger, or as you go upstream with the issue of adultery, it has everything to do with, with lust. And so the last few weeks and continuing today, just the main point is submit your heart that you would choose to submit your heart. Don't follow your heart. Don't, don't lead your heart. Give your heart to Jesus and let him be the one who is directing your paths and your decisions and your conduct and your behavior. Submit your heart to the Lord on a daily basis. And as we're going to see today, that we believe that when that takes place, then we will submit our, our marriage to God. And just like last week, it would be easy for us to focus just primarily, though we needed to, on just the issue of, of, of lust or adultery. But we wanted to prop up last week and champion last week what God had designed, which is that God has given us the, the gift of sex to be enjoyed within the parameters of marriage between one man and one woman for life. And we, we don't want to shy away from that because God, as we saw last week in Song of Solomon, he doesn't shy away from the gift of sex that he's given, again, within the parameters of marriage between one man and one woman for life. The same is true today. We don't want to shy away from what we see within this text. We don't want to skip over it and go, oh, we'll, we'll cover that in a small group. We need to look at that. We need to look at this and be willing to look at the truth. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 31, Jesus continues here on the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, it was said... Whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Pray with me. Father, as we take a look at what Christ has to say, we recognize that he is the authority. And so, Father, I pray that we would have ears to hear uh, and, a, and a heart to understand what it is that Christ is communicating, and that we would take it and apply it and live it out. And where you are seated, or if you're watching online, would you just ask the Lord to give you a submissive heart to hear what it is that He has to say to us today? And if you would, would you pray for me that I'll be a help to you from this passage? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here in my little bag of goodies, I have a few different things. I have some vitamin C. I have some, I'll show you that in just a second. Um, I have some zinc, and I also have some vitamin D, well, D3. I don't really know what you call it, but anyway, we have these medicines. And some of you know when I was in the DR, uh, I brought back a little friend <laughs> whose name we shall not mention. Um, and so when I was there, the wonderful missionary doctor who saw me said, we need to just 
pump you full of as much vitamins as we possibly can. We need to give you a lot more vitamin C, zinc, and D3. Like We just need to give you as much as we can because it's good for you and it's going to help uh, be preventative, hopefully in the future. So when you get home and long after you are recovered, continue just on this high dosage of vitamins within your just daily regimen. And so Tiffany and I have continued just to take a, a just an unseen amount of vitamins over the last little bit. And I would encourage you to do the same. And so that was something that was helpful for me, but some of you may or may not know that I have a kidney disease. I have something called renal tubular acidosis, it's short, or RTA is the short version of it. And essentially, my dad gifted me with uh, this kidney disease, it's hereditary, it passed on to me, not to my two brothers, mind you. They got height and they didn't get the kidney disease. I mean, what's, what's with that? Um, and so I... Uh, Ever since I was a little bitty, uh, at first I had to take a little drink because I couldn't swallow the pills. And then once I was able to swallow pills, they started giving me these pills to help protect my kidneys and also prevent the formation of kidney stones within, within my kidneys because they're unpleasant. And so ever since I've been a little bitty, I've been taking this medication because I need it. It protects me and it prevents other things from happening that I don't, don't want to happen. What I want us to do today is I want to give you a uh, some medicine. Because medicine hopefully is preventative and protective. And sometimes when we have medicine, just like Mary Poppins would sing, just a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. I hope to give a little bit of sugar on some medicine, some truth that we're going to hear today. What I'm wanting to give you is a little bit of a, of a dose of truth and a dose of more truth, like a, a double hoop, uh, hooping, double scooping of, of truth in your life today. And what I mean by that is specifically truth that is personified in the person of Jesus. Some of you know that he says there on the night of his betrayal and the night before his crucifixion, he's sitting with his friends, his disciples, and he looks at them and he says, uh, I'm about to go away. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you because in my father's house, there are many rooms. And the disciples are like, why, why are you leaving us, Jesus? Like, we're just kind of getting this thing going. You don't need to go anywhere. And Jesus is like, no, 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 you want me to go away because I'm going to send a helper. Finally, Thomas asked the question, it's like, Jesus, you're, it's like you're talking in riddles. What do you mean you're going to go away? And finally, Jesus comes along and he just replies to them in John 14, 6. And he says, friends, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. And no one, man, woman, child, no one comes to the Father God except through me. He is the truth. So central and core, that first bit of dose of medicine that we need is the truth of just Jesus. Central and core to who we are as individuals, for us, I think, to hear his authoritative statement in these just two brief verses right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount is we need Jesus at the center and the core of our lives as individuals in mind and in heart, that we would listen to what he has to say. The second thing is that we would be willing to recognize the, the dose of truth that we need that is God's word. That on a daily basis, on a very regular basis, we are coming back again and again. And we had our time of prayer this morning. And Pat just prayed the sweetest prayer that daily we would feast on God's word. That we would make the time, put the time in so that we could get his truth into our life. Because we're going to be faced with, with situations and circumstances and people to where we're going to wonder, what would God have me do? What does God think in this situation? And we got to get back again and again to the truth of his word and not be ashamed of it or afraid of it. And so as we come into this passage, we're, we're going to see some truth that might be a, a hard pill to swallow at times because it can hit for so many so close to home. Whether you personally have gone through a divorce or whether you have experienced the effects of a divorce, maybe as a child or even as a grandchild or just as a friend, it, it, it's something that we could either be an ostrich and put our head in the sand and ignore, or we could see what does God's worth had to say about it. it it's kind of like people, individuals, maybe guys, Tiffany has a hard time sometimes getting me to the doctor. She's like, I need you to go to the doctor. I need you to get this checked out. Ladies, you ever have that problem with your man? <laughs> Yes, amen. <laughs> now, it's, sometimes we think, oh, it's because men, you know, they, they, they don't want to go because of this, that. I'll be honest with you. I don't want to spend the money or waste the time, frankly. That's why I don't want to go. But <laughs> yes, preach. Uh, but, then, but then there's other times where I don't want to go because I don't want to hear what you have to say. Because I have a pretty good suspicion that this growth is going to need to be cut out. And I don't want to have that scalpel cut into my skin. I, I just kind of want to just kind of push 
the truth off just a little bit because I don't want to have to entertain it. I don't want to have to deal with it. But sometimes we need to address it because if we don't, it festers and it grows and it becomes even more of a complicated issue and problem. And that is certainly with the issue of sin. We saw it with the issue of anger just a couple of weeks ago. We saw it last, year, last week with the issue of, of lust. We can either ignore these things or we can deal with them kindly and tactfully and, and head on. Now, when it comes to this issue of Jesus says on divorce, I don't know about you, but in the life of the church, I haven't heard it spoken of very often from the pulpit, let alone even in a circle with a group of friends in a small group setting. It seems to be something, and even as I was going through just different men that I respect, I was like, well, what, do you, what might you have to say on this? Literally, people have been preaching through the Sermon on the Mount, and they'll skip verses 31 and 32, and I'm like, that's not helpful. How's that helpful for us as a church and as people, especially when we do know that it is a prevalent reality issue in our world and in our church today? And so we tend to do one of two things. We either go to one of two extremes because that just seems to be how we are as people. We go to one extreme, which is we're just going to ignore it completely, unhealthy. Or we go to the other extreme, and we treat divorce as if it's the new scarlet letter of shame to drape around someone's neck, and it's this albatross that is literally just weighing them down. And we stay at arm's length from that person as opposed to welcoming them in and loving them through what they've experienced. I, I've had friends of mine who, who have gone through divorce. I, the church I pastored before, individuals and couples who had gone through divorce, and it is hard, and it is heartbreaking. And I, I come today wanting to, to hear what Jesus has to say about this. And, and for us, again, not to shy away from it, but I do want to have a few disclaimers before we go into it. Is One, this, this is for every one of you. And some of you are like, I'm single. I'm not even married. Is this for me? It is. Hear what Jesus has to say about this issue. Some of you might say, well, I'm no longer married. I have no intention of ever marrying again. This is still for you because I imagine that you still interact with people and a lot of people get married. And a lot of people in the life of the church are going to have questions about what does Jesus say when it comes to marriage and divorce and remarriage because I just don't know. I haven't ever really heard it discussed or taught upon. Some of you are happily married today and you're just like, well, is this for me? Yes, it's for you. Every single one of us, maybe you've been divorced, this is for you. Perhaps you're going through a divorce, or you're a child or grandchild who's experienced the effects and endured a divorce. This passage is still for every single one of us. So don't check out today. Step into this, even if it is hard and uncomfortable, because it is the truth of Jesus, and He is that authority. The other disclaimer that I would mention to you is that, <laughs> is that I have yet to meet anyone on their wedding day go, I hope this ends poorly. I hope this ends in divorce. That's, that's what I'm going for. I, I, last Friday, this past Friday, I got to marry this sweet couple. And uh, as we went through premarital counseling with them, Tiffany and, and I did that, and as got to perform that ceremony, as I was standing there and uh, just telling them to kind of scoot a little bit closer because they were just a little too far away, it was just a joy to see the joy in their face and in their eyes. And not a, not a one person that, that I've ever had the privilege of marrying ever just go, hang on, wait a second. What if this ends in divorce? They're excited, that young love. And so as a result of that, though, there are friends of mine, as I mentioned, the church that I pastored before, of individuals who have gone through a divorce, and almost to a number, every single one of them, when I've had the opportunity to teach on this, there's always a little bit of trepidation as a pastor because, well, it's, it's a hard subject, <laughs> And almost to a T, every single one has come up to me either before or after or just going through one and saying, I wish someone would teach on this. What does God have to say? I have my ideas. I have my experiences. But what does God actually have to say on this? And even some as friends of mine would say, Stephen, teach on this. When you have opportunity, teach on this. I wish I had heard some of this from God's word. Which I'd heard this truth in kindness, with tact, but with truth. 
And so please know that, that if you're an individual who has gone through or experienced a divorce or the effects of a divorce as a child or grandchild, in, in no way, I promise you, that I, 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 I don't want this to be a sermon like last week with the issue of lust of where you walk away feeling beat up upon. That's not the point. It's that we would hear the truth of Jesus, know the truth who is Jesus, and that we would experience freedom because he sets us free. That we walk away encouraged and emboldened because we know what he does think about us and how he does feel, even though he does say this is the standard and this is what I do desire and expect biblically. There may be some of you as we get through this and you go, man, I, I think I went through a divorce that wasn't even biblical. What does God think of me now? Or I went through a divorce, it wasn't biblical, and I got remarried. What does God really think of me now? What should I do with my current marriage if my previous marriage didn't end the way that it should have biblically? What does that mean? And this is what I would tell you is that the Lord is good, and he is gracious, and he is merciful, and he is one who forgives. So if at the course of any point of this, if the truth does, if you will, step on your toes a little bit, I'm never afraid at any point for if anyone experiences conviction from the Lord, that's good. It's how we respond to that conviction that is going to set us free. Because if you walk away convicted and you walk away in shame and guilt, then that's what you're going to walk away with. And that's not the intention. The intention of Jesus, any time that we might recognize, I have done something outside the bounds of Scripture, something that, that does violate God's good and perfect law, the goodness as you come back to is this and go, yes, I, I, I have and I see it and I confess it. And God, I believe you will set me free. Because you, as we just saying, your mercy abounds. I, I, I slip up, I mistake, I sin, but your grace and your mercy is more. It, it abounds. Last disclaimer is this. The goal of marriage, for some of you longing to be married, for some of you who are, who are in the middle of a marriage, can I remind you that the goal of your marriage is not happiness. It's holiness doesn't mean you can't be happy. I don't want it to come off that way. Have a good time in your marriage. Enjoy. Uh, hopefully it's not a drudgery to you. I hope that you love your spouse. But the goal is not happiness. It's holiness. It's God continuing to use. And I, I would say that with marriage in my life, that has been the, 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 the thing that has most, God has most used in my life to, to sharpen me and to, to, to smooth out those rough edges within my life and my selfishness and my self-interest. It, it, it hopefully has, has made me into a, to a better man. Now with that, we come back to this passage because I believe it's essential that we need to hear today and we need to be reminded again that as we hear this, as we heard with anger and with lust, that we would submit our hearts to the Lord on a daily basis, and then we will submit our marriages to God or our future marriages to God. Now, the flow and progression of this passage, as we're ready to just kind of jump in with that disclaimer and introduction, is that verses 21 through 30, anger and lust, they begin to not just sound like random, like Jesus just going, I want to talk about anger. I want to talk about lust. They really flow and, and build into one another. Because when you come to the issue of divorce, one, he's talking about adultery within these two verses, which very much would connect with what we just read and studied last week with the issue of lust and adultery. But oftentimes, if you go upstream, as we've used that illustration the last couple of weeks, if at the end result is you've murdered someone or you have committed adultery, you go upstream, you recognize at the heart of how that happened was anger in your heart or lust in your heart. When you look at the issue of divorce has taken place, and that separation has happened, how did it come to this point? And I will say, not every time, and not in every circumstance and in every relationship, but often in couples that I visit with, if you go upstream, what has happened is someone's heart has become entangled with anger or with lust. Because our hearts drifted from the Lord, Christ being the center of our life, Christ being at the center of who we are as individuals and as a couple. And so when Jesus says in verse 31, he says, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. The Jewish audience that's sitting on that mountainside listening to Jesus and just being blown away by some of the things that he's, he's saying at this moment, just about all of them would probably go, amen. <laughs> I agree with that. We, 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 we ideally and formally as Jewish people hate divorce because Malachi... God hates divorce. I've had friends tell me people have weaponized that verse against me because I've been through a divorce. 
I've had friends tell me, you know what I don't need someone to tell me <laughs> when they're trying to, you know, walk through this with me is go, you know, God hates divorce. Thanks. Thanks. The Jewish people on paper hated divorce, but their practice demonstrated something far different. Their hearts and their attitudes demonstrated something far different. 2,000 years ago, some of you probably know this, but 2,000 years ago, women didn't have a lot of rights at this day and time when Jesus is speaking. They were seen really as things, not so much as people. And so when Jesus is speaking on this, sometimes we go, man, Jesus is just being harsh on this issue of divorce. As I mentioned to you last week, Jesus is all about protecting the imago deo of God, the image of God, image bearers, people. He loves God and the standard of God in his word, and he loves those who created in his image because all of us are valuable. So he's fighting for the sanctity of life in that passage on anger and murder, and he's fighting here with the issue of lust and adultery and now divorce for the sanctity of relationships because he doesn't want to see specifically women in this culture and context just be thrown about because some guy just got tired of his wife. He's actually advocating and interceding on behalf of saying things have gotten way out of whack because he's actually quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 24 whenever he shares this in verse 31. And the religious leaders, they would have known this passage as we're going to see just in a few moments. And listen to this in Deuteronomy chapter 24. Listen to what, what Moses says, what God says here in Deuteronomy 24. It says, when a man takes a wife and marries her and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out from his house. The key word in that Old Testament passage in Deuteronomy about divorce that religious leaders would use to kind of go, what do we do when it comes to divorce? What's, what, what is God okay with? The key word there was indecent, indecency. Some translations say uncleanness. And the problem is that there was a variety of interpretations. There was the kind of conservative uh, theological interpretation of that, which was basically this idea that when, when that word indecent is being used, it has to do with sexual immorality, infidelity, or adultery. But then there was kind of a more middle of the road, like moderate to liberal interpretation of that passage, because there were actual rabbis teaching that when Moses here is talking about being indecent, is men, if your wife adds a little extra spice onto your food and you don't like it, that's indecent. That's unclean. You can send her away. Or her head's uncovered. That's indecent. That's unclean. You have grounds to send her away. The even more liberal theology that was being taught by rabbis to the masses at large was Specifically, there was one rabbi who said, if you take this passage and you read it, indecent, really what it is, is that you have let yourself just go. Your wife is no longer attractive to you. In fact, you find someone else more attractive. Unclean, indecent, grounds for divorce. Basically, what was happening is the religious system was setting something up in place to where women were just being used and abused. And men were just simply saying, I'm tired of this. I don't want to have a commitment. I don't really care that I made a covenant. I have an excuse clause to be able to get out of this. Essentially, no-fault divorce. And what you have in this moment is that Jesus is coming along and he's saying, this has become, here on Sermon on the Mount, he's saying, this passage of Scripture from the Old Testament, which is good. I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it, to live it out. This, this interpretation of yours has become so loose that divorce for any reason at any time can happen. And the sanctity of relationships, specifically marital relationships, has become marred. And so he comes along and he says, you've lowered the bar again. I'm about to raise it back up to where it should be. So in verse 32, he, he gives that classic statement. He says in verse 31, you've heard that it said, verse 32, but I say to you, I'm the authority of this because I am the lawgiver. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. Whoever commits or whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. 
Jesus is the authority, even without experience. Hear me with that. Some of you might say, I've never been through a divorce. Can I speak on divorce? Some of you as parents or grandparents, you're wanting to walk through or walk alongside with, and please do, parents and grandparents. Don't leave the marital relationship and entering into that just to like a a 20-year-old or a 30-year-old or 40-year-old who doesn't really quite know what that looks like. Walk through that with them as biblical. You see it with Isaac in the life of, or excuse me, with Abraham in the life of his son Isaac marrying Rebecca. Like like they're, they're a part of that process. Even in, just as an example, even in the marriage ceremony we had on Friday, we got to, I got to see these two sets of parents come over their son and their daughter and just pray over them to be a part of the process, to be a part of the journey of them coming together to be husband and wife. Don't sideline yourself, parents or grandparents, because you're like, I don't want to get in the way. I don't want this to get messy. Get messy so it doesn't get messy later because you hold highly and champion the sanctity of marriage that God has given to us. So get involved and be a part of it. I don't know how and when we began to drift away as a culture of not being more engaged in the process of the, of the two becoming, becoming one. And so when Jesus begins to share this, I found that there are some who, who have entitled this passage that this is the command even the church hates. And I was like, ah, hate's a strong word, maybe uncomfortable with. That this is the command that's, that's difficult. And so what happens is that People take this and they'll read verses 31 and 32 and they'll come to someone and say, well, what does it really say in the Greek? Can I just tell you that most of your English translations pretty close to what it says in the Greek. It says what it says. It does. Now, we are going to drill down a little bit into the Greek because when he says specifically here for the reason of unchastity, it's the word pornea, which we get the word pornography from. It's this idea of immorality, sexual immorality, sexual infidelity of some kind. And what you're doing is that you're if you're leaving your spouse except for this biblical grounds of divorce that is provided here, this exception clause, that if, that if you were to send that wife away, remember, she has no rights, you send her away because of anything other than unchastity or sexual immorality, that when she goes, specifically he's talking to the men here, men, you are now sending her away, not on biblical grounds, and for her, she has two options in that moment. She either is going to get remarried because her whole life is she was raised by her dad, and her dad provided and protected her. And then she got married, and the husband provided and protected her. And when you send her away, she has two options. Either get remarried so someone else is providing and protecting for her, or she goes into a business where she sells her body. Those were her two options. And again, Jesus cares about the image bearers of God. He does not want to see individuals used and abused, and that's what was going on. He's protecting people. He's fighting for people. And so as these men, he's telling them, if that's the case, and it wasn't grounds biblically, you're you're causing her to commit adultery and the guy who's marrying her to commit adultery. Essentially what Jesus is saying is this, your choices, because of your selfishness, rooted within your heart of you just want to have what you want because you find someone else attractive or you're tired of this relationship and this commitment— your choices don't only affect you. They affect so many other people. They affect her, and they affect the future him, and they affect the kids and the grandkids and the lineage of people as we see in the book of Exodus chapter 34 of our sins being passed on from one generation to the next. It's, it's a big deal, and Jesus is saying, we're not going to shy away from it. We're going to look at it so that we get serious with it so that when it becomes serious, we deal with it appropriately. And so, I want to take you to another passage. I should have told you to turn there earlier, but go to Matthew 19. Same gospel writer. And it's at this point in Matthew chapter 19 that some religious leaders come to Jesus and begin to ask him the question about this. They're really trying to trap him and to test him because as much as this was a hot topic today, it was a hot topic then of of, what does Jesus have to say about this? Let's see if if he'll shy away from it. Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 3. Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? Jesus answered and said, (laughs) I love this. Have you not read the Bible? (laughs) Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. 
And so what you have here is, one, here's a, here's a great biblical definition of, 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 of marriage. One is it says he made them male and female. And uh, it also says that the man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Marriage is to be between one man, one woman for life. He goes on into verse 7 and he says, They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? Verse 8, Jesus said to them, underline this, because of the hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not always been this way. Hardness of heart. All last two weeks, we've been talking about submit your heart. Submit your heart. When we submit our heart, our hearts get softened by Jesus When we submit our heart to the word of God, our heart is softened to receive the word of Jesus. So much of what he's saying here is their heart was so hard they would not forgive. Forgiveness was the furthest thing from them. Selfishness was at the top of their heart, if you will, at the center of their heart. And he comes on here and he says, And I say to you, verse 9, Whoever divorces his wife, very similar to what we just read in Matthew 5, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. This is where we see, just like we did in Matthew 5, except. There's this exception clause. Before I dive into the exception clause, I do want to just share just a little bit with you that my hope for you as married couples, longing to be married individuals that you would hear, is that there's a stat that we often hear, maybe you've heard, that in the world, let's just say in America, every one out of two divorces ends in marriage or ends in divorce. How many of you ever heard that? Okay, majority. Every one out of two marriages ends in divorce. And in fact, there were some studies that were coming out saying that's even in the church. Even those within the life of the church, one out of two marriages will end in divorce. And I've I've always been a little unsettled with that statistic because I'm like. Is there not a difference between the world and Christ followers? Like, how is that statistic the same? And I think other people began, because over the course of basically the 2000s on to now, there's been a lot of research done by Christian organizations to try to research and drill into, is this actually accurate? And this is what I found. Actually practicing Christians, not people who say they're a Christian, Because did you know that every eight out of 10 Americans, if you ask them, are you a Christian? They'll say yes. Do you think 80% of America is Christian? It's something that we say by name, but it's not by practice. It's something that we can just, 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 oh yeah, sure. But what the studies found was that those who were practicing Christians, regularly attending church together as a couple, reading their Bibles together, praying together individually and as a couple, taking their faith seriously, the, the, the rate went from about 50, 50% to about 85%, according to sociologist Bradley Wright. It jumps up dramatically. Even more dramatically is that if you as a couple, listen to be married couples, ones that long to be married, make the practice of prayer be something within your life. I know it can be the issue of, well, what's the point of praying? God already knows. Pray together. Because when you humble yourself before God and you hear one another cry out to God, it softens your heart. And when your heart softens, you're more likely to be connected and grow together, to serve one another as Christ would serve the church. You serve one another. This statistic out of the Journal of Marriage and Family said that those couples who regularly, consistently, daily pray together, that one out of 1,156 marriages end in divorce. That's less than 1% because they're praying together. You know what's hard for me to do? It's hard for me to stay mad at my wife (laughs) because we can get mad at each other. That happens. It's hard for me to stay mad at my wife when she grabs my hand or hopefully I'm leading and I'm grabbing her hand and I'm saying, let's pray. Because if I'm going to go to the creator of the universe and I got an issue with her, he's going to be like, what in the world are you doing? Did you not read Matthew 5, 21? You got anger in your heart. You deal with her and then come to me. So it forces me to go, man, we got to get this right and we talk it out, and we dialogue, and then we communicate, and then we go, now let's go to the Lord. And to hear her prayer of things in her life and over me humbles and softens my heart because she loves me. She's going to the creator on my behalf. 
Husbands, has your wife ever heard you pray over her audibly? Do it. If you've never done it, she might be like, what are you doing? Do it. Pray over your wife. Lead that charge. Lead that cause. Let them hear you go to the Creator. They need to hear it. It will soften the heart. It will move the relationship closer together. I love those statistics. Those are good statistics. So we see what Jesus says in Matthew 5 and 19. We also see that in the Old Testament, there's the relationship between God and the nation of Israel. God sees the nation of Israel as almost as if this is his bride and he's the groom. And you know what's incredible about this? Remember that whole hardness of heart? Aren't we glad that God is not hard of heart, but he is forgiving? <laughs> Aren't we glad that we see in the Old Testament? How often did the nation of Israel wander from God, be unfaithful to God, worship other gods, and God is just like, there's going to be consequences because you can't just go do whatever you want. But though you won't be faithful to me, I will be faithful to you. Our God is so good like that. He even gives the classic picture example of the prophet Hosea. Read that prophet, that minor prophet. He asks Hosea, Hosea, go marry the harlot, Gomer, unfortunate name. Go marry that harlot. He's like, you want me to marry the harlot? There's still times as a pastor, I'm like, God, okay, I get you want an object illustration, but you're asking the man of God, the prophet of God to do what? He goes and he marries the harlot, Gomer. And Gomer is still unfaithful to Hosea. So much so that in chapter 3, she's been unfaithful. She's now on an auction block as a slave to be sold off. And God says, go get your woman. Go get your wife. Pay full price for her on that auction block. She's yours. Though she was unfaithful to you, you go be faithful to her. Redeem her. Forgive her. We also see in the New Testament... Christ and the church. Has, has the church ever wandered from the things of God? And God's still right there, faithful to us? I'm going to make a statement that will be hard, but listen to it. Even if adultery is involved, unfaithfulness, this is considered an exception clause, but it is not a mandate clause for divorce. It's allowable, it's permittable, but it's not saying, well, now you have to. It's allowed because of the hardness of heart. And so, even in the cases of, of adultery, and even if you want to drill down to the Greek, it's not that person who cheated on the spouse, truly repentant, asked for forgiveness. It's that individual who cheats on the spouse, continues to cheat on the spouse, continues to cheat on the spouse multiple times, unrepentant, doesn't care. There's your exception clause. There's the permission or the permitting of being able to separate. And so, a couple of things that I want to mention to you as we close. If you are, are single, <laughs> then what I'm asking you to do this morning is that above all else, that your number one desire of your future marriage is about your holiness and not about your happiness. Because if you go into a dating courtship relationship with that mindset and attitude, it's not about how happy this person can make me because you know what? Sometimes I'm sure... I don't make Tiffy very happy. <laughs> Sometimes I say and do things that are just, just not good and nice. And she's not happy, but she's committed. Don't let it be about your happiness, though enjoy. Let it be about holiness. Because when you enter into a courtship or a dating relationship with that mindset, it's about holiness, not happiness. It will affect who you pursue and it will affect how you are allowing people to pursue you. Submit now to this standard, God's standard. If he designed the thing, trust him. Now, an often question that I'll get, even after a sermon like this from young adults or those longing to get married, they'll say, okay, I get that. I want to do it God's way. How does this work? Who's the one? How do I know that they're the one? Great question. I remember wondering, is Tiffany the one? Best example I ever had of this was one. If you're a jogger, if you like to run, if you're running and you're on a trail, you're out on a path on the greenway and you're just running by yourself and you're having a good time, enjoy it. Enjoy that time. It's nice. Solitude. But as you're jogging, if someone else comes up alongside you and they're jogging with you and they're able to keep up with you, you might be like, huh, this might be someone I could jog with. 
This might be someone I could actually go on a run with. But if you're running along and someone races up to you and it's like, hey, look at me, I got nice clothes on and I got the shoes and I got all this. And then about 10 minutes into the run, they're back sucking wind. They're not going to jog with you. They're not, a, they're not a partner to run with. At least not now. But where we get in trouble as individuals, we go, man, nice shoes. I like those running shorts. And the things in between, legs, those look nice. You, I'll slow down for you. So we can run together. And my heart is getting engaged because of the physical. Is there anything wrong with being engaged physically and being like, ooh, attractive? No. But again, you're not going just for happiness. You're going for holiness. You want that person who's going to run beside you. When you look around, if you don't see anyone, don't turn around and go backwards. You keep running with the Lord. And if someone runs up beside you and they can keep pace, you're like, that's someone. Doesn't mean I'm going to marry him, but that's someone that I can at least run with. And let's see, as we run together, just as friends, where this goes. Does it deepen? I, I, I've, I've told so many, so many young adults and young people of the classic thing of, you know, you're going to marry who you date, so who you date absolutely matters. And you begin to kind of go into that and and people are like, oh, but, but they go to church and, and he says he's a Christian or she says she's a Christian. And my question is, yes, you don't need to be marrying or dating anyone who's not a Christian, but are they a practicing, devoted Christ follower? Because there's a difference. And here's the reality. You might say, well, he's on the fringe. I think I can push him over the edge to be on Jesus' team, like devoutly or you know what? I bet I could get her to come to church with me a couple of times. You can't change anybody. You can impact, but you can't change anybody. That's Jesus' job. He changes the heart. He transforms us from the inside out. So again, wait for someone who's already been transformed by Jesus from the inside out. And when they catch up with you and you're running, take off and live happily ever after. For those of you who are married, for the sake of your kids and our community, man, love your marriage. Champion your marriage. Live your marriage out loud. Don't be inappropriate, but be affectionate in your marriage. Let your little child or grandchildren see, grab her hand, put your arm around and go, this is an appropriate display of affection. This is me seeing someone love. Love out loud. And submit yourselves to one another, it says in Ephesians 5. Now, some of you who are married, you might say, okay, I'm married right now, but I was divorced, and I'm wondering if my divorce was biblical. I'm not sure. And if that's the case, what do I need to do? Because is God upset with me? Is God going to forgive me? And I've heard some people say, and I do not agree with this, that if you have not been divorced on biblical grounds and you are remarried, that you're somehow supposed to stop that marriage and go back to the other one. I don't agree with that. You don't do two, two wrongs to make a right. You just don't do that. Whatever marriage relationship you find yourself in, man, you give 100% and you submit yourself to Jesus. And you journey together as a couple towards Jesus. Some of you might say, but now I'm remarried to, to someone or I am married to someone and they're distant from the things of God or they're actually not a follower. What do I do? According to scripture, man, you stay steadfast to that individual. We don't have time to get into the abandonment or abuse issue found in 1 Corinthians. That's, a, that's, a, that's another topic for another day. That's a very real issue. If you are in an abusive, abandoning situation, protect yourself, get away. But for those who are not, maybe you are with someone who's not a Christian. You remain steadfast, you remain faithful. And perhaps, as Paul would say, they might be one to the Lord. Now, some of again would say, but I am divorced. What does that allow me to do? What, what can I do at this point in time? Again, what I would say is be committed in your love relationship with Jesus. And there's a whole quandary of questions of can I get remarried? And there's a whole litany of conservative evangelical scholars who agree and disagree on some of these things. And what I would say is the best example I heard of this was there is, this is where wisdom comes in, studying scripture biblically together and sitting down and not just being super hard and fast. Like, let's have a discussion. 
Yeah, let's look at your previous marriage and let's look at what is coming in front of you. But bottom line, above it all, is that we want to see Christ pictured in our life in the pursuit of Jesus and the gospel. So for the sake of your marriage, those of you who are married, because it's about holiness, pray together daily. Some of you might ask, well, what can I do practically to make this happen? Best advice that I heard on this was, one, pray together, because one in 1,156 couples get divorced, less than 1% who pray together regularly. But two, is it's just this pithy little thing that you can hopefully remember. Men set the tone with this, but every day have a daily delay with your spouse. 20 minutes. Uh, you may have kids or grandkids interrupting you. 20 minutes, a daily delay, you and your spouse. Taking that time, talk business. Talk what's going on with the house, what's going on with the bills. At the end of that 20 minutes, before you got to go back and you know, get some stuff done, take care of those kids, make sure that they're still alive, into that 20 minutes, you pray together. Daily delay. Spend that time. And then have a weekly withdrawal. Have that date night. Take her out. Spend that time with her. And for her, it might not be she wants to go out. She wants to stay in. Do that. <laughs> but have a weekly withdrawal with your spouse. Spend that time together. And because you've had the daily delay, you know what you're not doing on your weekly withdrawal, your date night? You're not talking business. You're not talking about all the chores and things you got to get done around the house. You've already done that every day. You're getting to just have devoted, authentic, relational talk and time with your spouse to hear their heart, to hear their dreams, to hear their desires. And then daily delay, weekly withdrawal, annual abandon. Get away with your spouse. That doesn't mean family vacation. That means you and your spouse. Because you know what your kids want more than your attention, even though they may not know it? They want you to be together. They want you to be in love with each other. That takes time and cultivation. So those are singles, those are married. If you're divorced and you're wondering, what does God think of me? I know exactly what God thinks of you. He loves you. And this is why I'll tell you that if you have experienced that or experienced the effects of that, you will be loved here. And I would ask that you would bear with or forgive myself or others if that's not been the case or the experience because all of this, for the last several weeks, what we've been seeing, all of it leads to this incredible, incredible display of the love and grace of Jesus. Jesus, the God-man, is speaking with authority about anger and lust and divorce. And you know what Jesus did for all of these individuals that he's saying, here's the standard and you're breaking it? Here's the standard and you're breaking it? For every single one of those, the, the murderer, the adulterer, the divorcee, he died for us all. He even died for the individual who's a self-righteous, condemning person in this room right now who's going, can't believe people struggle with lust, anger, or divorce. Who likes that guy? <laughs> he died for them too, though. He died for all of us because all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And what we need is we want to come alongside those who have journeyed through something like this and to love on them, to encourage them, to champion them, And so Jesus forgives. Some of you need to hear that multiple times today. Some of you, again, you might be right now going, I don't really know exactly where I stand because it is kind of a complicated issue. Just hear me one more time. Jesus forgives sin. Jesus loves you. His grace is more than sufficient for all of us in all that we do. So just like last week, I asked you to submit and separate. Tonight, I'm asking, or this morning, I'm asking you to submit and to sit. That you would submit your heart, your marriage, your future marriage, and you would hand it over to him. That you would hear the truth. Coming back to the, the pill illustration, that you would say, I want the truth because I want it to be protective and preventative. I, I want to be healthy as possibly as I can. I want to come to the Lord. And so for some of you, there's paper in the back, paper in the front, just like last week. Maybe what you need to do is you need to write down, man, I submit and write it down again. I submit my eyes. I submit my marriage. I submit my, 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 my kids. I submit my time that I'm going to have more time devoted to this relationship. But write it down, whatever it is. And for some of you, you may sit there and go, I'm, I'm just sitting here and I'm wondering, I know what I need to submit. I need to submit my heart, but, but, but I'm hurt. And I'm still hurt about what I've experienced. And it is painful Friends of mine who have gone through this, it is 
painful. What I would ask you to do is you would submit your heart and your hurt to Jesus. And then sit in his grace and sit in his forgiveness and sit in the truth of how he sees you. That when you come and confess to him all in righteousness, he cleans you up because he loves you. He cherishes you. He died for you. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, we're going to pray. In just a moment, we're going to sing. We're going to sing a pretty familiar hymn to some of you called Just As I Am. We're asking you to come just as you are. That you would come to Jesus. You would submit your heart and you would sit in the truth of his word and his forgiveness. If in any aspect of this, even from the last few weeks of anger, lust, or this issue and this topic of divorce, if there is conviction, even through the experience that you've had, conviction leads us to repentance, which leads us to restoration. That is good. And I want you to be able to walk away feeling a load lightened off of your shoulders and off of your heart because you see you yourself as God sees you through the lens of Jesus. So, Father, I pray that during this time of response that every individual within this room would take the time, whether it's praying for their own marriage praying for themselves, asking for grace, or praying for other friends of theirs who are in a marriage, Lord, that, that we would just champion marriage all around in this place and that we would hold it high and lifted. And for those that we know who have gone or are going through divorce, Lord, that we would intercede on their behalf, pray for them, love them, come alongside and comfort them, and not distance ourselves that we would wrap them with hugs and journey along with them. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.